been really excited to preach the word because it's, it's been a minute and uh, I am really excited to look into the word. And the reason why I'm excited is because anytime we look at the word, God will transform us. God will renew us. That's the promise that we see in the scriptures, that when we open up the word of God and we read it and we spend time there, it is what some people call a guaranteed area of encounter. That the living God will meet you and commune with you and begin to transform you and renew your mind, whether you feel it or not. And it's also really special when we get to do this together, that God begins to inhabit the praises of his people and begins to commune with us because two or more are gathered in his name. And so this morning, we are jumping into a brand new sermon series called Abide, where we'll be examining the power and beauty of God's word. Uh, And this morning, we're going to reflect on a wonderful truth, and that is the word gives life. The word gives life. And when we think about life, we we sort of uh, sometimes reduce it down to the moments or the things that kind of make us happy or, or, or make us feel pleasure. And so we pursue those things. And we call those things life-giving. And they're not necessarily wrong. We say things like, man, walking through the woods is extra life-giving. That's where I find life. And, and I'm right there with you. Or, 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 or watching movies or listening to music or hanging out with people or, or eating good food. We, we call those experiences life-giving because they do something within us that, that make us come alive. That make us feel better. Uh, and, and we all have all sorts of symbols for life. Uh, my freshman year of college, 2011, I came to Texas State University because I thought Texas State University was the symbol of life. Yeah, that's pretty crazy, right? Uh, I thought to myself, if I come to Texas State and I major in sin and get a minor in sin management, then maybe my life will, will be awesome and amazing and, and everything will be filled with good things only to come up completely empty. Because I was searching for life and things that weren't designed to give me life. And we sometimes occupy ourselves by clicking and scrolling and observing uh, different content and trying to take in whatever we can that will make us come alive. Because we realize deep down inside, are we even living? And so we make these things our pursuit. And when our understanding of life is reduced down to the things that this world has to offer, we won't ever come alive because those things weren't designed to make us come alive. And what you'll begin to notice is that life then becomes about doing. Let me try to do all of these extracurricular activities. Let me try to become this type of person. Let me try to look like this or do this so that maybe... I can feel like I'm alive, but the scriptures, hear me, offer a completely different vision for life. The the vision that the scriptures offer for life comes not from doing, but from being. Being with God. Abiding with God. In fact, the first chapters of Genesis sets the stage for our understanding of life. And in it, we see an ancient symbol for life. So let's look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 through 5. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness. 
God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. So we continue to read chapter one and and we see in detail all these marvelous things that God begins to create. The animals, the sea, plants, vegetation, wildlife, and humans, Adam and Eve. And in the beginning, God created Hear me, in the beginning, God created. These are such powerful, rich words, but unfortunately, they become familiar words. And I say that because when we think about God creating the world, we often think about it in such normal terms. Yeah, we we know that's the first page of the Bible, God created and, and we move on. Yet when the biblical writers consider the creator, their hearts are moved to worship. This is what the psalmist says in Psalm 23, 6. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. With his word, God brought order to chaos. By speaking, God brings form to a formless world. He brings fullness to an empty world. Through his word, he brings order to a disordered world. Through his word, he brings light to the darkness and life to a once lifeless world. And so now that a world that was once formless, empty, and dark is filled with light and life. It's filled with all sorts of creatures and animals of all kind. And at the center of it is a man and a woman created by God to enjoy life with him. Let's look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 through 9. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature and the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed and out of the ground, the Lord God made up to spring every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We skip down to verse 15 and it says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you, sure, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. Go for it. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. God created a world, hear me, that exists in perfect harmony and life. This is where life is found in enjoying God's presence and walking in obedience to his commands. Life is found in being with the one who created life. Life is found in pursuing joyful obedience to the one who has created all things. And hear me, doing things his way. So when he says, this is how I want you to live, it's not to restrict us, but to place us in a position where we would experience the maximum amount of joy and love from being in relationship with him. And the Bible calls that freedom, not bondage. So when the scriptures order our lives in such a way for us to be in relationship with God, it's not to restrict you. It's to position you in the place where you would experience the maximum amount of love and joy in the Lord. And that is true freedom. And what we see here is that God is the creator of life. In him is life. We all know this. But do we believe this? Take a moment to consider your life. 
Where do you go looking for life? Who or what does your lifestyle say the creator of life is? Is it running to one more drink that we hope will create a feeling that will numb the pain so you can find life by not feeling what you are feeling right now? Do you look for life by spending long hours checking out on the never-ending social media scroll, hoping you'll get distracted from whatever pain or baggage you're carrying, distracted enough to forget why you started scrolling in the first place? Do you look for life in other people's opinion of you so you spend a little too much time proving to the world that you are successful and beautiful and worthy of love through your purchases, posts, or plans you have about the future? And yet deep down, there's this craving to live. To experience the highest quality of life. To drink from the well that never runs dry. Yet we settle for empty wells created by human hands. Where does this come from? Why is this our experience? Because what God created in the beginning is not the world that we're living in now. In the beginning, God created man and woman. He placed them in a garden. And in the garden, they would experience perfect communion with God. And at the center lies one marvelous aspect of God's creation that we rarely talk about. At the center lies the tree of life. Now, what is the tree of life? The tree of life demonstrates that the garden is both the spear of God's provision and the symbol of life itself. In other words, it is an image of eternal or unending life. But when we consider our life and the nature of our lives, it's not eternal and it's not unending. Uh, Death plagues us. Why? Because there was another tree in the garden, the one that we are more familiar with, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the one tree that God told Adam and Eve they should not eat of because if they do, they will become like God and sin and death will plague them. Genesis 2.17 says, The tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. The tree they were commanded not to eat from, they do. They sin and death enters into the world. And so what does this death look like? Trimper Longman points out three results from disobeying God's commandments. Number one, a curse is pronounced. God curses the enemy, the serpent. That tempted Adam and Eve and speaks of a day when he will be conquered and defeated once and for all. And second, we see Adam and Eve, uh, uh, they're, they're, they're not directly cursed, but now they suffer the consequences of their sin. The second thing we see is that they're exiled away from God. They are removed from the garden where they once enjoyed perfect connection and harmony with their creator, now sin severs that relationship. When they were once in the home and in the presence, now they've been removed. And lastly, they're prevented from eating from the tree of life. And notice here that death in this case does not mean ceasing to breathe. It does not mean that life has been instantly ended The body in this moment is not subject to that kind of death. But here, death is curse and exile. What once brought the man life working the ground now brings toil and pain. 
Now when the woman brings life into the world, there is momentary pain. Where there was once connection, that now there is separation. They've been exiled. In other words, hear me, to die is to be removed from the place of God's blessing, to be removed from his presence, and experience the effects of sin in our lives. To die is to be removed from the place of God's presence and blessing and experience the effects of sin in our lives. When Adam and Eve sinned, God removed their access to the tree of life. And this is one of the greatest acts of mercy we see in the scriptures. Because remember, this tree of life is the source of eternal, unending life. And God, in his great love and mercy, restricts them, removes their access to this tree so they wouldn't doom themselves to endless broken life in a fallen world. You see, the point of the garden was not to simply live in an ongoing state of resisting temptation. The point was to see for ourselves a beautiful world that God had offered. Experience a life of blessing and perfect connection with him. And say, yes, I want to live in this state. I want to live in this nature with this type of connection for the rest of my life. I'll gladly eat from the tree of life that would keep me in this state for eternity. They never made it to that tree. Adam and Eve have been cut off from the tree of life lest they be trapped in an endless state of brokenness, curse, and death. And now what once represented the center of life and God's provision takes on a new meaning. Now the tree of life represents something else. It is an image of paradise lost. It represents a longing for perfection, an image of a missed opportunity, an image of regret and loss, a reminder of what could have been, of what we could have had. A life with God that is untainted by pain and brokenness and suffering. Do you know this feeling? The feeling of regret when we willfully do the thing that God tells you not to do because he loves you. And now you see the fruit of pain, not only in your life, but those closest to you. You know this feeling, the feeling of a missed opportunity, uh, the feeling of a missed opportunity you get when you're scrolling through social media and you see other people's lives and you think to yourself, what if I did this instead with my life? Five, 10, 15 years ago, what if I never made that one mistake? How different would my life be? The feeling of longing for perfection when you examine your body and all you feel is pain. The longing for everything to be healthy when you're anxiously awaiting a report for good health from the doctor when you know there might be something wrong. The longing to live in a world that doesn't provoke reminders of shame and guilt from choices you've made. What was once a symbol for life is now an image, a reminder of paradise lost. Longing for perfection an image of a missed opportunity, an image of regret and loss, a reminder of what could have been. And if you feel this way, or you've felt this way, then there is good news. Because in the kingdom of God, nothing is wasted. And John chapter one was written for you. 
Let's read verse one again. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And what the author is doing, his name is John and he's a disciple of Jesus, a man who has walked closely with him. He begins to write about the story of Jesus and he opens up by doing something so profound and intentional that no other writer has done. He opens up by calling the reader's attention to the oldest story ever told, their story. In the beginning, God creates. And what John is saying in this moment is the most radical claim that Jesus is God. He was with God in the beginning, part of the triune God who brought everything into existence, that Jesus is the creator and sustainer of life. Verse three says, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. Now, why does this matter? Let's look at verse 11 and 12 in the same chapter. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So in the beginning, God created. We saw that. Creation was teeming with life, but that creation was lost. That paradise was lost. Humans were self-inflicted with sin and creation was broken. But John opens up this story with this radical new truth. God is recreating Through his word, the word, the God man has stepped into death, into our curse, into our exile, and is writing a new story to undo the effects of sin, to reverse the curse and bring life where there was once death, to restore everything back to its former glory so that in Christ, you and I are a new creation. Why? Because the creator is recreating everything taking sin and shame and creating a future filled with joy, taking regret and loss and creating a life of hope that isn't dictated by your best decisions or your worst mistakes, taking your pain and sorrow and loss and replacing it with the comfort of his presence and the promise that he will never leave you or forsake you and make, things, make all things work together for your good. Jesus is giving life to those who are spiritually dead. This is called salvation and is exclusively the work of God. Jesus transforms dead sinners into living sons and daughters. The creator who created everything in the beginning has stepped into your story and is recreating everything and reversing the effects of sin, uh, restoring all that has been lost and taken away and bringing you back into his family the way he intended so since the beginning. Now, remember what we said earlier. Death is to be removed. Death is to be removed from the place of God's presence and blessing and experience the effects of sin in our lives. Life then is the opposite. To live is to be settled in the place of God's presence and blessing. 
Life is being in the presence of God. Life is experiencing God's blessing rather than the curses of this fallen world. And this is the good news that John writes about. Life is found in fellowship with God and living in his blessing. For this reason, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Do you see what Jesus is saying? The person who believes in Jesus has been transferred from God's curse to God's blessing. The person who believes in Jesus has been transferred from death to life. The person who believes in Jesus has gone from being a stranger on the outside to a son and daughter in the family of God. Jesus, the creator, recreating lives that were lost to sin, addiction, fear, abandonment, pain, hurt, and bringing new life that's exclusively found in him. Jesus, the creator, recreating and transforming the world in such a way that everything will be restored back to its former glory. And this is what the last chapter of the Bible says, written from the same man who wrote this wonderful introduction about Jesus's life. In the beginning was the word. This is what he says in Revelation 22, one through five. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruits, yielding fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will anything be accursed, but the throne of God and of the lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. An amazing picture of this future glorious reality that awaits us in this great city of God. And what does this mean? That the future glory and paradise will be restored and regained to what it once was. Did you catch that small detail in verse two? The tree of life is there. The tree of life is there. The death of death means that we have access to the tree of life once again. And how is this possible? How is this world that we see in the future made available and created? Because between the tree that we see in the garden and the tree by the river in the very last chapter of the Bible lies another tree. And this tree is called the cross of salvation. Jesus hung on the tree of death, the cross, so we could taste from the fruit of the tree of life. And the cross is where both curse and blessing collide, where judgment and healing take place. For this reason, Paul says in Galatians chapter three, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Here's how Peter says it. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. 
by his wounds, you've been healed. Where you were straying like sheep, exiled, removed, far from God's presence, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls, fellowship and relationship with God. To live is to be settled in the place of God's presence and blessing. And this life is made available to us because the God-man Jesus has stepped into your story and is rewriting everything, restoring, recreating, returning you back to the Father. I mean, consider where we find ourselves. It's January 2022. A new year that comes with the idea of new opportunities. A new year with new goals. A new year with new plans and new desires. A new year of writing another chapter in our story. A new year of trying to create or recreate the best version of ourselves. But the good news of the kingdom of God is that the best version of yourself is the one that's found in Jesus. And that's unlocked. That's on the other side of abiding with him. Let's reflect on this wonderful truth as we close in prayer.